0: Hey, Pastor Shawn here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so, uh, if this, Hopefully, this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, nine thirty, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Get your Bibles out. We're going to jump in. Genesis 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Thank you, ushers. I know you guys worked hard this morning to refill the chairs, uh, with Bibles, if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and read it on a regular basis, okay? And uh, get your note sheet out, take some notes, a heavy sermon this morning, so I'm just going to prepare you. I'm going to try to start it light, but we're going to dive in. And uh, just got a text message from one of our elders and uh, showed me a picture of Gloucester and it's packed again, so praise the Lord. And, uh, yeah, we're really thankful what the Lord's doing there, and I've got bad news for the Gloucester people. They're going to have to go to two services faster than they thought. Last week, man, I preached up there. It was one service. I was like, man, I'm signing up for this. The one service is fantastic. So, um, and just kind of so you guys know, uh, my intent is to preach here the same amount that I preached last year and the year before, okay? I won't be at Yorktown any less uh, I've been preparing you guys, though, through the years by sharing the pulpit a little bit more. I preach about 40-ish times a year here. And, and then what I'm going to do is be adding to my preaching schedule by going to Gloucester. Does that make sense? So I won't be here any less. And for those of you who think I take off every week, one week a month, you're right, okay? And so it's good work if you can find it. So um, so let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to breath his word this morning, okay? Heavenly Father, um, this passage for me has... Um, it's been a tough passage, Lord, as I've meditated, thought about it all week. and um, It's just difficult, God, to see the brokenness of sin. Um, your word's very clear, the wages of sin is death, God, and, and we see this this fracturing and this brokenness in the life of Abraham. and And it reminds me of my own sin, God, and how my own sin brings fracture and disunity and harm and... And yet, God, the end of the passage highlights uh, you as a God who seeks and saves the lost. And, and so, Lord, I, I thank you for that. We thank you for the hope of the gospel and uh, the hope of um, new life in Christ. And so thank you for that hope. And we're going to give that to us this morning through your, through, through your word, Lord. And I pray for the believer that came in that's discouraged or tied up and bound up in sin they would be freed from sin and be reminded of their hope in Christ. And for the unbeliever who hasn't yet heard or found the hope of Christ, that uh, the power of your Word, the power of your Spirit, God, that today they would repent of sin and believe and and know that real life is found in Christ. And so it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, We have some new equipment in here, so it's a little bit tinny. Hey, Josh, I need you to probably find Mark and get the tinniness out, okay, because it's driving me crazy. Um, so I know you got to do slides too, so multitask. Good luck. Okay, you're the only one that I can see. All right, I, um, I'm not very handy. Um, and you, those of you who are handy, man, I'm, I'm always impressed. And so uh, a couple years ago, you know, I came home. In fact, how many of y'all have seen that commercial? There's a great new commercial out with uh, the their, this insurance company that's advertising roadside assistance. Like, they're the only insurance company that offers roadside assistance, but because uh, I think all of them do. But they have roadside assistance. The teenager's broke down by the side of the road, and he's got a flat tire, and he calls his dad, and he, he's angry at his dad. He's angry at the situation. He's like, yes, dad, I know what a lug wrench is, right? Have you seen that? And he turns to his friend, and he's like, is this a lug wrench? That's kind of me, you know, like, Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know which tool to use. And, and, uh, you know, my kids are getting older. And so, you know, we don't, as parents, when your kids are young, you're in all these hobbies, you know, and that takes a bulk of your free time. And and we're kind of coming out the other end. And I keep saying to my wife, like, let's like redo the kitchen. And she's like, you don't know how to redo the kitchen. I'm like, let's just dive in. How much harm can we do? Really? I don't know. Probably a lot, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready to try. But I remember a couple years ago, I came home and my wife's like, hey, there's a drip under the toilet. You need to call a plumber. No, baby, I can fix the toilet, man. It's one line in, couple bolts, no problem, right? And so I'm like, I'm not turning in my man card. I'm fixing this toilet. I'm taking matters into my own hands, you know? And so I go to the store, I get the guts of the toilet, I get all the bolts, shut off the water do everything, tighten all the nuts and bolts, and I turned the water on. Now instead of one drip, I had two, all right, coming out of both bolts. So I was like, I'm calling a plumber. And so, um, so I spent like a half a day, and I, so I should have called a plumber, right? And so I took matters in my own hands. It didn't work out quite the way I hoped, and now I want to redo the kitchen. That sounds like a disaster in the making. But, uh, you know, last week we see this incredible passage of Scripture where Abram is promised to have an heir. And through his son, all the nations will be blessed. And Abraham believed God. And we get the message of the gospel that he believes God and he is credited righteousness. And this beautiful doctrine of justification is unfolded before us in Genesis 15. And and yet in Genesis 16, we see Abram and Sarah get restless because God's promise has not yet been fulfilled. And by the way, God's promises, oftentimes, we have to wait on them. Why does God work that way? Because He's doing things in us. In the waiting period. He's molding us and he's shaping us more into the image of his son Jesus Christ. But Abram and Sarah lost sight of this, right? And so they take matters into their own hands. And Genesis 16 is so fraught with brokenness and sin that my heart this week has just been heavy with the human condition. It's the condition I suffer with, it's the condition you suffer with, it's the condition that. Abram something with. In fact, as I read this, and, you know, we've built the case that Abraham is is the spiritual father of the faith, right? I mean, Paul, like, says that in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3. Like, Abram is the spiritual father of all of us that believe. Yet then, verse chapter 16 comes in, and you're like, what in the world is Abram doing? And there's so much sin, and there's so much brokenness. Now, it does remind me that my hope is not to go out of here and try to be good like Abraham or Abram. My hope is to, to look for someone that is true and better than Abram, the, the one that is actually perfect. My hope is in Christ. Abram is a type of the one that's going to fulfill the perfection that God demands, and my only hope is to trust in Him. It's my hope this morning. She should be your hope. So this morning, you know, I was going to retell the first six verses, but I think the best thing to do is just read this so that you you feel the weight of sin and the weight of the impatience of Abram and Sarah, and, and, and just kind of put it under this umbrella. The Apostle Paul says this about sin. He says, the wages of sin is what? Man, and you're going to see in this story just death, brokenness and fissure among all the relationships of all the parties involved so genesis 16:1 now sarah abram's wife had borne him no children and so she had a female egyptian servant whose name was hagar Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to to your embrace, and when she saw that she is conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarah, behold, she's your servant, She's in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I don't know how to spin that. That's just gross and sinful and broken. And all three parties are a part of it. And so the first thing I want to draw to your attention this morning is we have to beware of the sinful plans of the flesh. Now, by the way, when I use the word flesh in Scripture, I'm not talking about your skin and your bones, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about the blood that courses through your veins. The Bible uses it in a spiritual term. There are times it refers to our actual physical flesh, but usually it refers to our sin nature, our, uh, our nature that rebels against God and His Word, and we don't want God, and we don't want His Word, and we don't want His character, And so we have to beware of the sinful plans of the flesh. The flesh is our human nature. This is A under one. You can fill in the blank. The flesh is our human nature that rebels against God and His Word. And the flesh and and, and our sin, it leads to bondage. In fact, Paul uses this very story in Galatians 4 to illustrate for a believer the difference between living according to the flesh and living according to the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. In fact, when you become a Christian, the Bible's very clear, when you're not a Christian, you're dead in your sins. You're only going to, to tend towards your sinful nature. You're only going to choose to do the things that you love to do. But once you become a Christian, you get the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Now you're freed up as a believer to be at war with your flesh. You're no longer dead in your sin. You now can work and choose as a Christian righteousness. Now, it doesn't save us. We've, we, that, that's last week's, it's the doctrine of justification. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that we've been gifted eternal life. But in this process of growing to be more like Christ, the process of sanctification, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, Christian, and you can choose holiness and righteousness. Which, by the way, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? The righteousness of God brings life and hope and joy. And what we see here in this passage is the exact opposite. Because sin leads to bondage and it leads to destruction. And by the way, your greatest enemy is not North Korea. And your greatest enemy is not another religion that you see growing around the world. And your greatest enemy is not the political party that you didn't vote for. And your greatest enemy, Christian, by the way, I hear a lot of bad teaching on this. Your greatest enemy is not the devil. Right? We hear that a lot. with the devil, man, he made me do the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. Oh, the devil certainly contempt, but you sin. Your greatest enemy is not like the non-Christian world out there that you know, is pushing against the, 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 the truths of the Scripture and certainly pushing against what the church teaches, That's not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is your own sin nature. And until we approach our spiritual journey with a healthy, even as a Christian, a healthy self-awareness that, man, sin is still in me. I, am, I haven't reached perfection. That's glorification. Until we have a healthy sense of that, man, we can be in danger even as a Christian. That's why I'm so hard against the cultural teaching that says, man, follow your heart. Just, just follow your heart. That's a terrible idea. Why is that a terrible idea? Because the Bible says our hearts can deceive us. I mean, our heart could be leading us to sin. I mean, listen, Abram and Sarah in this story were probably following their heart, right? They just follow your heart. It's a terrible idea. And so that's why we need the Word of God as a mirror to reflect, is my heart, in this situation, believing truth and believing righteousness and believing holiness? And so Sarah and Abram, man, their flesh, their sin, it comes up with this terrible plan. And it's destructive. So let's unpack this for a minute. How how do you get to where you're... you're ignoring God's Word and you're sleeping with your handmaiden. Like, how does, what's the journey to that? Well, it starts with ignoring God's Word, right? When we ignore God's Word, and by the way, I want, I want to say this under the umbrella of God's Word is good for us. We kind of live in this thing like, man, God's so restrictive, Right? I mean, I should be able to do this or do that, do whatever I want, you know, follow my heart kind of thing. And, and what I want to propose to you this morning is God's Word is good for us. And when He lays out a plan, it's for your best and for everyone's best. Why? Because we have a good God, and His Word is good. His Word is righteous. His Word is truth. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will do something for you. What will it do? Set you free, right? Sin leads to bondage. And so ignoring God's Word... Genesis chapter 15, what was God's word to Abram? He got direct revelation from the Lord. And behold, verse Genesis 15, 4, the word of the Lord came to Abram. and He said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He knew the word of God. He knew him and Sarah were supposed to have a son, a son of promise, but he did his own thing. He got impatient. The text tells us that He'd been in the land for 10 years. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. I don't maybe him and Sarah had this conversation several times. I don't know. I think it hints at that. Hey, what about this? What about this? What do you think about this? this is the sin, by the way, of our first parents, right? Now, Abram and Sarah's first parents, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, right? When sin enters the world, how did it enter? Well, Genesis 3, 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, did God actually what, church? Let's do it again. (laughs) Woo, let's wake up. I can get louder. Here we go. Just new mic working. All right. He said to the woman, did God actually what? He's calling into question the word of God, right? And he's calling into question, can God's word, is God's word good for you? Can God's word be trusted? Now, as a believer, you go, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's what's being called into question here. And so sin is birthed out of you and I thinking that maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe His Word's not really good for us. And by the way, can I make you uncomfortable for a minute? Let's just all get ready to be really uncomfortable. Ready? Let's stir in our seats. Like, man, this is... I didn't know we were going to get this at church this morning. I wanted to go to a happy church. All right, here we go. (laughs) So let's, let's, let's build on the idea that the Word of God is good, the Word of God is true, the Word of God is trustworthy, the Word of God is sufficient. So did God say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Did God say that? Absolutely, Jesus said that. John fourteen. So if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, we cannot buy into the idea that all paths lead to God. That's not true. And if that's not true, then it's not good. And if it's not good, it leads to bondage. Now, again, I'm not talking about being angry. Jesus never told us to be angry. He told us to to serve and to self-sacrifice. But we have to hold to this truth, because God said it. Did God say that in order to build a healthy Christian marriage, there's functional order inside the home where a man is supposed to take the spiritual lead? Did God say that? See, that's uncomfortable. By the way, I'm not talking about oppressiveness, and I'm not talking about authoritarian rule. Jesus taught us how to lead, and it's with serving, okay? But I am talking about spiritual protection. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. Did God say that marriage is reserved for one man and one woman? Did God say that? Yes, Yes, absolutely, right? We're going to revisit that in this passage. Did God say that sexual intercourse is reserved for a man and a woman only inside the confines of marriage? Did God say that? See, and I could go on and on, like we could get more uncomfortable, but here's the deal, like a lot of us, we ignore the Word of God because we think God's holding out on us. And what you're going to see in this passage is that Abram and Sarah ignore the Word of God, adopt the thinking of the world, man. This fracture enters their relationship that was never intended to be there, never. And so they ignore the Word of God. The next thing that happens is they begin to follow the thinking of the world. They begin to follow the thinking of the world. In ancient Near Eastern culture at this time, it was quite common to take your handmaiden and have children, this was a common and accepted practice in abram and sarah 's world. Now the bible doesn 't tell us doesn 't tell us how many people refrained from this, but I suspect it wasn 't many. I suspect that Abram and Sarah were probably in the land of Canaan were probably the anomaly of the one husband, one wife kind of protected marriage. My suspicion is. What Sarah is suggesting, everyone else is doing it. That's my suspicion. And what's fan- fascinating in the story to me is as, as Abram takes the suggestion of his wife, and what you see next is is brokenness, right? There's jealousy all around their relationships after this. And in fact, you see the thread throughout the coming chapters. You go down to chapter twenty, it raises its head again. Years later, there's this thread of brokenness and jealousy from this sin. And I I look at this and I think, man, God was not holding out on you, Abram and Sarah. God was protecting you. He never wanted you to bear the burdens that everyone else in the culture was just used to this moral, jealous, broken soup. God didn't want you to experience that. He wanted you to experience the joy of one man and one woman. And you gave it up because of the sin that you let enter into your marriage. I want you to think about that in our culture. I, th- I think there's ramifications to sex outside of marriage where God is trying to protect you, and we as Christians even, we bring it in, and then it has ramifications that go on and on and on. We let pornography into our marriages, and we're not generous with our time, talent, and treasure, and all these things that God has given to us for good, man. We, we go, man, God can't meet that, and it comes back to, did God say? And if we ignore that, then we just adopt what the world does. All right? When we ignore the Word of God, we adopt the world's thinking. First John says this about the world. Don't love the world. or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Man, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. But here's the thing about the world. The world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. And so here we see this This digression into this brokenness, right? We ignore the word of God, then we adopt the thinking of the world. Everyone else around me is doing it. I'm I'm an anomaly. And yes, that's what it means to follow God in faith. And then we see the particular sin of every person in this story. First, Abram, right? There's two sins that I see that Abram does. First, he ignores his role as spiritual head, he ignores his role as spiritual head. he, he gives away his spiritual leadership over his home. And so uh, this is what I call passive sin or sin of omission. He just, he just got lazy, didn't do something that he should have done. Some of you men, I already hit on this in the beginning, you're, you're giving away your spiritual leadership in your home, your, your, your wife is begging for you to take spiritually. She's begging for you to be the one that says, let's go to church this morning. Let's get the kids in this, plugged into our student ministry. She's begging for you to say, let's be in the Word of God. Let's spend some time. She's begging for you and I get it. You come home from, from work and you're exhausted. And listen, the world is, is looking to consume your children. And man, you got to be vigilant. And it gets exhausting. I tell my wife all the time, I, I am so tired of being the IT expert in the home, but I'm going to fight that battle because the world is begging for my kids. Man, you gotta, you got to take leadership. Abraham let it go. Same sin of Adam. Adam did the same thing, right? Eve got tempted. He just sat by silently. Genesis 16, too, Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, that's a, that's a nice way of saying this, right? What in the world? Hey, why don't you go sleep with her? Okay. What a bad idea, right? What a really bad idea. Like I can't even imagine this conversation. I can't, I'm trying to put my, like my holy imagination around this scene. I'm like, how, how does this even happen? Hey, hey, babe, I'll just let you know I'm going over Hagar's house right now. What? You know what Proverbs says about adultery? Proverbs 7, 22? As an ox is led to the slaughter. I want you to get this picture, right? A dumb old ox who's following the carrot stick to the slaughterhouse, and he doesn't know any different. That's the sin of adultery. And by the way, I, as a pastor man, I've, I've in too many times sat in my office and tried to pick the pieces up around that sin. It is the ox to the slaughter. And if you're here this morning and you're there's you're you're flirting with someone that is not your spouse, where is that going? The slaughterhouse, that's where that's going. Because sin leads to death. And it leads to brokenness beyond what you can even wrap your head around. We see the jealousy that comes into Abram's home. I'm not going to read that. Genesis 6, 16. So there's there's a sin of omission, but there's also the sin of commission. That's adultery, right? Sexual sin. Abram sleeps with Hagar. Genesis 2. He, should, he knows Genesis 2. He, know, he understands how God formed marriage, right? Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Listen, from the very beginning, God designed intimacy, physical, relational, to be intended to be between one man and one woman. And now we see throughout the Old Testament. By the way, I hope you know this is coming in our culture, right? Let's, let me just be a little bit of a prophet here. If I'm wrong, you can stone me. Um, so, uh, but <clears throat> polygamy is coming in our culture, right? And I suspect there's even going to be some quote Christian institutions around it, pointing to the Old Testament. Well, everybody in the Old Testament had multiple wives. Listen, there's no point in the Old Testament where having multiple wives is seen as a good thing. It always leads to jealousy and brokenness because the original design, Genesis chapter 2, one man, one woman, that's the design of God. When Jesus was asked about marriage, what did he quote? Genesis 2. How was it in the beginning? One man, one woman. It only takes one spouse to help push you towards sanctification. Okay, you don't need. That's funny. Anyway, some of you'll get it later. <clears throat> I know I'm heavy on you. You guys are afraid to even chuckle. Like he's, if I chuckle, he'll yell it more. Okay. he oh, it ignored what God intended. So he's there's there's the sin of omission, the sin of commission. Sarah's sin, self deception. See that in Genesis 6, 15. Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. So she immediately blame shifts to her husband, right? I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. What's going on here? Here's what's going on. Zero ownership by Sarah. None. That's what sin does. You ever try to talk to someone really wrapped up in a habitual sin? And you c- confront them. What do they do? What? I'm a victim. This is why I started this with men. Your greatest enemy is your own sin nature. If you're having marital struggles today, you need to start with you. Look in the mirror. You are bringing something to the table. We all start with the other person, man. That's what Sarah does. I can't. Abraham, I can't believe you did this. Look what you did to me. There's no ownership. There's no self-awareness that she's a sinner too. And at the core of that is pride. And a humble person says, you know what? I could be part of the problem because I'm a sinner and I'm cautious around my own sin nature. Hagar, man, she's flaunting her pregnancy, right? We see that in verse 4. And so Abram went into Hagar. She conceived. When he saw that she would conceive, she, she looked with contempt upon her mission. In other words, she took great delight in it, celebrating her pregnancy in front of Sarah. She celebrated at the expense of others. And so sin and brokenness, man, I'll tell you, when I read this story, my heart aches for the return of Christ and the restoration of all things. It's so easy to look at this story and look at the culture around us and go, man, there's no difference, man, where this chapter is filled with sin and brokenness. And, and if it ended there, we would have zero hope. So let me give you some hope, and I'm going to move through this quickly. Here's the hope, though. Fortunately, Genesis 16 doesn't end there. Isn't that great news? All right, so let me give you some good news. Number one, we worship and serve a God who seeks. He doesn't leave us in our mess. Genesis 16, 7, and 8, Hagar leaves Sarah, and the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and a spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, the servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. God found her. God sought her. If you're here this morning, you haven't been to church in a long time, and you're wondering how I got here, you got here because God brought you here this morning. And this message is for you. It's not an accident. You're hearing about the God who seeks and saves the lost. In fact, when Jesus defined his own ministry in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said this, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and save the what? The lost. Our God is the first seeker. I grew up in a world where we were designing seeker-sensitive movement churches, right? We're going to be seeker-sensitive. Listen, God's the first seeker. He seeks you first. And he draws you to himself. And if you're awakened to the things of God, it's because our God seeks first. Isn't that great news? And if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you know that. You remember when you were in rebellion, and all of a sudden your heart started warming the things of God, and you're like, where would that come from? That's God. That's what he does. Number two, God sends. So God doesn't just seek, he sends. He finds Hagar, and he sends her. By the way, God always gives us purpose. When he seeks us and we're found, he gives us a purpose. There's always a Go. Genesis 16, 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and what? What's it say there next? What's it say? Look, we don't even like to say it. We don't like that word to come out of our mouth. Let's do it again. Here we go. Return to your mistress and what? (laughs) Ugh, right? There was a go involved. Listen, when we get reconciled to God, he calls us to reconcile with one another. Reconciliation to God doesn't leave all broken relationships around us. He sends us on what Paul says, the ministry of reconciliation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, to, Paul says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Can you imagine? Like I suspect when Hagar left, Sarah was probably like, good riddance. All right you imagine when she showed back up? When she showed back up, man, there was probably some uncomfortable, difficult, and hopefully healing conversations that took place, yes? Why? Because God sent her on the mission of reconciliation. And by the way, let me do a side note here. Don't think that God never calls us to difficult circumstances and difficult conversations. I think… There's been a, a false teaching that's permeated American Christianity It says, man, you get saved and, like, everything gets really, really simple and easy. Don't think that there's never, an, an e- never going to be a difficult assignment from the Lord. This was no easy assignment for Sarah, I mean, for Hagar, right? So God seeks her. He finds her. We're going to see how He blesses her and He promises her. But, but man, He sends her back to a difficult thing. Let me tell you something. Sometimes God calls us to a difficult thing for a long period of time, potentially even a lifetime commitment to a difficult thing. I know for my wife, it's called her husband. Right? That's it's a difficult thing. I just remind her, like God gave me you for your sanctification. You get to be more like Jesus at the end. Isn't that great? <laughs> but let's not assume God doesn't call us to difficult things. Because he does. And so Sarah was sent by God. So we have a God that seeks. We have a God who sends. We have a God who promises and blesses. Literally the word is God hears here. God hears. Genesis 16.10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction and he shall be called a wild donkey. I always wonder if that's a bad word, anyway, of, of a man, and his hand is against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So in other words, Hagar gets the blessing that your child will be okay, he's going to grow, he's going to be a leader. Listen, it's not the same promise that Abraham got, okay, for Isaac. Isaac's promise is, has a redemptive value that blesses all nations, But but God promises Hagar, hey, listen, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of your son. Listen, God never sins without empowering and promising. Do you know that? Think about the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission bookended with? Christ being with us. Go. All authority has been given to me. Now go. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. Sandwiched and bookended with the promises of Christ. And so God blesses, God promises, God blesses, and finally God sees. God sees. This is kind of the overarching theme of the passage, Genesis sixteen, thirteen. So he called the name so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Man, all the brokenness and all the sinfulness of the first six verses. God is not a disinterested onlooker. Our God cares and our God intervenes. And this is so comforting to me because I'm a screw-up sinner. And the fact that God loves me and looks for me and saves me and still uses me is incredible. And I can't tell you how often I want to pack up like Hagar and I want to get out, but God says no. I seek and I save and I comfort and I promise and I bless. And by the way, if you're here this morning, and you're unsure if God is good, if God cares for you. You have not looked at the cross. You have not looked at Christ, His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. If you wonder if God loves you, He gave His very best. If you wonder if God loves you, He paid for the sin and the debt that you owed on the cross. If you wonder. God cares for you. He restored your relationship with him through Christ. If you wonder if God wants to bless you, he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing that has deserved Christ is yours when you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus as Savior. If you wonder if God has a purpose for you, he has saved you and he has chose you to spread the name and fame of Christ until he returns again. Isn't that great news? Man, we can't just sit here with our arms. Well, we got something to do. So this story for me reminds me of the incredible grace and the incredible mercy of our God. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know him, i got really good news for you. There is no person and there is no situation that is too far gone for God to see, God to seek, God to save, God to promise, God to bless, and God to send. He's got hope for you. And how great is our God? I remember... And I'll finish with this. We'll close with prayer. I remember when um, my wife and I got first got married, we, um, we did what a lot of young couples do. We rushed out and got a dog. And uh, <clears throat> I, at the, I've transitioned over the years. And I know a lot of young couples at Coastal are doing that, right? You get married, you get the dog, and I hope it holds off kids for a couple of years. And it does. And so I want to tell you young couples something, though. I will tell you this. This might be a revelation to you. You will love your kids more than the dog eventually. Like, isn't that crazy how that happens? I've transitioned to a dog liker, okay? But at the time I was a dog lover. Um Kim, I saw you back there. Kim Prelip, I know you love dogs. So between the two of us, you love dogs way more and we meet in the middle, okay? So um and that's a good thing. And so there's I know there's a lot of you are dog lovers, but I'm a dog liker, but at the time I was a dog lover. And so we had this dog, her name was Nikki, and um and so she, uh, I, I actually worked at home with her all day, and so we were together all day, and so my wife and I went away for a weekend, and we left her with a friend of ours, and our dog had never really been off the leash. We always kind of walked her with the leash, but his dog had been trained to kind of run and then come back, and so when he let the dogs out to go to the bathroom, he let them both run. His dog ran and came back, and my dog ran and never came back, right, and so he calls us a couple, you know, I don't know, half a day, and he's like, your dog's gone. I'm like, gone, you know, and listen, this still shocks me. I'm a blubbering, crying mess, okay? And so, I I don't know if it was a Saturday or Sunday, but, you know, a couple days in, we come back to where she ran away, and we start searching. We're calling for her. And the next day, you know, we, we take pictures of her, and we you know we go this is back before all the technology of the day we make pictures, you know photographs we stick them up on light poles trying to find our dog. This was day two. You know, day two thunderstorms come in that night and I'm laying in bed like I can't sleep she's out in the thunderstorm you know that poor thing and I'm broken. And day three we're looking again it's hot. We live in Florida at the time it's hot and I'm like she probably didn't have any water. You're concerned about alligators, that's a real thing in Florida, you know. And day four I'm thinking we're not we're never gonna get her back. And it was evening time, and we're still kind of going where she'd ran. We're calling for her, going in the woods, we're trying to find her, can't find her. And I'm get, we're getting ready to leave, and this, this family's walking, this couple's walking, and they're like, oh, I just saw that dog about an hour ago, like, and they pointed to where? And I go running, man. And I start calling for her. I'm like, Nikki, Nikki. And all of a sudden, like, I hear, I hear this rustling in the woods, and all of a sudden, this music starts playing like Chariots of Fire, you know. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, we have this moment. Like I'm running, and she comes running, and we jump, you know, we hug, and... And and she's a mess man she's covered with fleas and she's covered in her own feces and she's disgusting and you know what I did when I hugged her I'm like you go back out there and clean yourself up first before you come home now some of you all know where this story's going you're about to apply the dog to us right we're the dog in the story right that's not very but that's true right like, here's this message of the gospel. We worship a God who seeks and saves the lost. He doesn't say, go get your act cleaned up first. Go wipe yourself. Man, you're fil- your circumstances are a broken wreck. You, you go figure that out and then come back to me. It doesn't work like that. When you're a part of the family, you're a part of the family. And it was, Nikki. come on. I'm going to take care of the cleaning up and get you fed and get rid of Like, I'm going to take care of all that. And I don't want you in the broken mess anymore. I don't want you running away and out there in the world. But I'm going to take care. You just come home today. We'll take care of the rest of the stuff later. And that's the message of Genesis 16. Yes, sin and brokenness. But our God is a merciful, gracious God who seeks and saves the lost. And so if you're here this morning and that's you, you don't have to stay out there in the wilderness anymore. And you don't have to keep listening to Oprah and all the junk out there. It's they're trying to get you str- It's all pointing you in the wrong direction. You need to come home. And you repent of your sin. And you trust in God's salvation plan, which is the Son Jesus Christ. And He'll take care of taking care of the rest. Just come home. Let's close with prayer. If you're here this morning and that's you and you're like, I want to come home. I want to pray a simple prayer, man. It's nothing magical but a prayer, man. It's an opportunity to do business with God. If your heart's being worked over right now and you're like, I want to come home. I'm sick of the mess. I'm sick of the brokenness. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. God brought you here. God drew you here. Repent and believe in Christ. Come home. Pray this with me, Heavenly Father. I'm tired, I'm tired of the brokenness, I'm tired of the lostness, I'm tired of the wandering. So this morning, it's best to understand. I, I want to turn from that. I, I want to trust in you, and I trust in your Son Jesus. And he paid for my sin on the cross. He rose again, authenticating his claims and giving me the hope of eternal life. And it's best to understand it today, I come home, trusting that you're a God who seeks. Saves and a God who promises and a God who blesses, a God who is good. Thank you for that hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.